You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. Email us at innovationstudios at gmail.com. Uh, I'm Marcus, and once again, this is Grassroots Music, appealing to those of you who are chucking your stuff in the back of the old bat of transit and going off to play the swan on uh, Friday and Saturday nights. Although at the moment, um, as we're in uh, November of 2020, nobody's really doing anything. So um, give us an email, let me know what you're up to. Um, hopefully you're all writing songs and you're all going to be calling me and coming and making the albums with me, but uh, we'll see how we get on. But over these difficult times, uh, um, it's important that music still plays a vital role and it's important to me that I'm still able to answer the questions that you might have. I'm still able to teach online, so I'm still able to um, teach guitar and all of the various instruments that I do. Go to the website to find that out and uh, maybe we can have a chat online and uh, work together. The great thing about technology these days is being able to teach anybody from anywhere. I have a guy in Canada that I teach, Ray. Hi, Ray, if you're listening. And uh, Ray found me on um, YouTube and he, we work together online. Um, we have to get the time difference right, don't we, Ray? <laughs> you're ring, ringing me again at uh, two o'clock in the morning. Um, but uh, yeah, Ray in Canada, just, just a great guy and um, I enjoy working with him. So a big shout out to him. Let's get that nonsense out of the way first. Um, and let's get on to the serious business. Once again, I've received a few of your emails and a few questions that I'm going to get through. Once again, all of my answers are my opinion based on my experiences and uh, the hard lessons that I have learned in music over the years. This is an industry that never teaches you any easy lessons. You will always learn the hard way. Um, and I often say that to people, you know, because when you're younger and you're, you're in a band for the first time, somebody puts their arm around you and and says, you know, look, you know, you don't need to be playing that song. You wouldn't believe them anyway. You think your band is the best thing since sliced bread. And who the hell is this guy telling me, you know, we're going to be the next best thing. And you realize that in the end, you make your own mistakes and you'll learn the hard way. So every lesson I have learned from being drunk on stage to playing solos that went on for an extra sort of five minutes longer than they should have all been learned the hard way. So... That's where I'm coming from in terms of perspective. Don't get me wrong, I've had a lot of success as well, but uh, there are times, kids, that uh, you will lose control a little bit and uh, lose control of a situation and you will learn a lesson the hard way. And I'm sure over the next God knows how many weeks that we do this for, you'll probably find out some things about me that uh, I've got no problem being honest about. We, we learn some tough lessons in this music industry of ours. So Q&A, this is week four. And uh, I'm going to take your questions. First question comes from Sam, and Sam is in Tilbury. Hiya, Sam. How are you doing? Um, Sam says, hi, Marcus. I hope you're okay. I just wondered, what are the basic fundamentals of writing a song? Um, <laughs> well, lyrics and melody, obviously, Sam, without appearing to sound too sarcastic. But the basic fundamentals are that you're looking for a hook. And a hook is something that drags people in and becomes memorable and kind of replays and becomes like a loop on their brain. Um, so it's a, a little bit like uh, a few years ago, you know, um, who are just a little bit. It's not the best song you'll ever hear, you know, but it everybody knows it because it's stayed in their head. So what you're looking for is a good hook. 
or a good, just a good line that seems memorable um, or that you think people will be singing as they're shopping in the town or, you know, um, which to be fair can be anything, but you're always looking for a good one. And if you can find a good one, um, then you write the song around it. Um, the other piece of advice as well is try not to go to, if you've got the, the verse and the chorus um, and then you you do another verse and another chorus, try not to go to the chorus the same way the second time. Either jump in a bit earlier, so miss a line or add a line on um, before you go into it because it just keeps the song interesting. It just keeps it, some songs it doesn't work for, I'll give you that. But a lot of the time you're always looking to um, make people listen to it. You don't want them to sort of go, oh, it goes here, it goes there. This is the great thing about certain songs, and, and one of them is Smoke on the Water. It doesn't go to the, on the chorus, it doesn't go to that part of the chorus again. It kicks straight in with that guitar riff again when you're expecting, you know, the fire in the skyline again. Um, for those of you who haven't heard it, go and listen to it. But that's um, that's the case with that one. The basic fundamentals are that you you just have to kind of um, kick around for a while until something comes to you. comes back to what I, I spoke about probably a, a couple of, I can't remember now, it must be a couple of weeks ago, about um, inspiration and perspiration. But the basic fundamentals of writing a song are that I think music just, songs just come to you and it's being able to work out what um, what you're going to do with it. Sometimes you can write a few lyrics down and then you can find a melody that fits it. Sometimes you can uh, strum your guitar and kind of um, find some. But the basic fundamentals are that you're looking for something strong that's um, either a good message or a good, uh, what they call a hook, again, that drags people in and thinks, oh, I like this bit, you know. Um, so that's the answer with that one, Sam. Basic fundamentals of writing a song are to just find something and and search for something strong that you can use uh, that there will be a hook that will drag people in that's that's all i can say on that really mate i don't i don't really know that there's an actual technique i think anybody can do it but i think everybody has to kind of research other people's music first and find out how their songs are constructed and once you can understand what a verse is what a chorus is what a hook is um, not that you don't, but that's, I'm just saying just as a general answer, um, then I think you'll be okay. And you'll say, okay, this is a good chorus I've got. And I've got this little line, um, find something strong. And if it's not strong enough, then keep what you have until you find something strong. But, uh, that, that's my advice on that one, Sam. Thank you for your question. Next question comes from Sid in Lee. Hello, Sid. How you doing? Uh, Sid said, hi, Marcus. I hope you're okay. And, uh, life is treating you well. Would you write a song in a different style to produce a specific feeling you might not get in another style? Um, yeah, I think what you're getting at is do you write the song and then change um, the structure of it or change the um, tempo of it or something like that? Yes. Uh, a song is a great song or a great song is a great song in any disguise. But of course, it's finding the best for the song. It's important as a musician that... Um, you do the best for the song, even if it might go against what you believe in. And, you know, I'm, I'm not alone. I'm sure in, in, you know, I've heard some, some songs over the years that I always feel 
why didn't they leave that as it was? But the truth of it is they've come in and said, no, we're a metal band, so we're going to put loads of other stuff on it and thrash the hell out of it in the middle. You go, but it was, you know, it was a great song. You didn't need to do that. So I think you always have to do what's best for the song. Having said that, I'm as guilty of anybody else of of writing what I think is a, is a fairly mellow song and then beefing it up so that it fitted in with the with the matching style and the matching sound for the album. So, you know, I'm as guilty as any, as anybody else of that. But I think 99 times out of 100, I try to do what I think is best for the song. And if that song is kept simple, one, one piano, one vocal, one guitar, one vocal, um, and that's the best thing for it, then that's how it will be. And if that means that you're in a band and there's four of you in the band, but you decide this song works better if it's just played on guitar and vocal, then the rest of the band will just have to put up with it. You've, you've made, you know, you, you, if that's the best for the song, you know, extreme were a band, but the two other members of the guys had to sit backstage whilst they played more than words because the version is best on one guitar and one vocal love of my life. You had the other two members of Queen sat backstage while they played that on one guitar, one vocal. Because that was the best thing for the song. I know on the original recording it wasn't like that, but I'm just saying live it became a kind of a uh, an entity of its own, which I think is is fair to say. So you do what is best for the song and you don't um really have to worry. Sometimes you have to try it in different ways, Sid. You might write a song and you might um have something that you you will know. This, this It comes back to what I said um, a few weeks ago, what I said many times. If you try and get that song to a point where you're able to step away from it, so you record it, um, so if you record it on one acoustic and one vocal and then you, you're able to maybe piece the rest of the song in your head as you listen to it, use your imagination to think about what the rest of the band will do, which to be fair, it only really comes with experience um, and you know, I don't know what level you're at, sir, to be honest with you, but it comes with experience that you're able to play on acoustic, but hear the rest of the band in your head. The alternative is to get as many instruments on the demo as you can so that you're then able to listen to it, step away from it, and to sing and add extra bits. Um, I can tell you from personal experience, there's been more than one occasion where I've written a song and I thought I wanted it to be, um, I think it was... Uh, on the on the upcoming album, actually, I hate to keep doing these cheap plugs, but on the upcoming album, there's a song called "Lonely in the Crowded Room." And when I wrote it, I wanted it to be. It was more like um, there's a B-side by Oasis called "Stay Young," and I wanted it to be that kind of pace. And then when I listened to it for a week or so, got away from it, you know, just, just stood back. I suddenly realised it then had to be faster. It then had to be more of um, a you know just a real fast. Um, a bit like the Strokes last night, just a real busy, a real fast kind of thing, and it just works better. So what you're trying to do is um to do the best for the song, without getting over dramatic. It's not like having a baby, but it's it's kind of like having something that relies on you, you know, and 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 you have to do the best thing for it. And there'll be times when you have to say, you know, that maybe you're going a bit fast, maybe you need to slow down, maybe this needs to be quicker. But you will know when it's right. I think if you take imagine and you speed it up it just won't be the same song and if you know but sometimes you you do get i mean and and the the john lewis adverts have proved this over the last few years that they 
you you take an old song or a real popular song and you slow it right down and, and it takes on an entity of its own. So there's an argument there. But it, initially when it was created, it's created in the best way. I always feel that if you, you can slow a song down, but you can't speed a song up. Because I think if you slow a song down and make a ballad out of it, if it's got a real great melody, let's pull one out of the air. Teenage Kicks. If you know, if you slow Teenage Kicks down and you had the right sort of voice and the right sort of piano, and and the other one, the um, Mad World, you know, we slowed slowed that one right down. Everybody slowed that one right down, and 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 everybody says, oh, it's an amazing version. But it wasn't written like that. It, it was just slowed down. The answer, Sid, is that you're always. Um, looking for the best thing for the song and if that's a faster song or a slower song also might be worth noting that the lyrics of a song can can often um kind of uh dictate where the song's going if you've written a song about highways and driving in your car and things like that well you can't really have that as a slow song because maybe the the message doesn't come across in the same way if it's a song about you know early morning rain or or you know waiting on a platform so so sometimes the lyric can very much dictate where the song's going as well if if it's a sad song invariably um it's going to be a ballad if it's a happy song or an up-tempo song or about living life or being high or whatever you know whatever these kids write about these days um then that often dictates where the song's going to go Keep it up tempo if, if the words fit that. So it makes it a little bit easier if you start thinking about it. I often do that. Someone comes in with some lyrics and I'll say to them, what is it then? I say, well, I've just got the lyrics. Go, now, what is it? You know, tell me the lyric. Okay, so you're running. Right, so straight away, is that a fast song? Because, you, you know, technically it's going to be a, what's the song about? Running, to, you know. So you find something in it that might suggest where the song's going to go. That's basically all you can do is you find the best way of getting that song across. Thanks for your question, Sid. Look after yourself, mate. Ever wanted to play guitar? 10-minute tutorials. Now on YouTube, Beginner's Guitar. Marcus takes you through the early stages tuning, basic chords and strum patterns to start you on your journey. For further information, go to www.innovationstudios.com. Next question is from Kate. And uh, Kate is uh, over there in the Isle of Sheppey. And Kate says... Hi, Marcus. Are there any artists you like to make music in the style of? What do you do to capture their essence and magic? Well, I'm really not sure. Um, you, you know, if sometimes you have a song. I think it's important that sometimes you have a song and uh, you are able to link it to an artist that it sounds like and then maybe mix it in that way. But then right at the last moment, you kind of U-turn it and change a few things. But I think if you write the song, um, I think we all do it in life, uh, Kate, to be honest with you. I think we all, um, we listen to something and we say, oh, that sounds like 
you know, or, or, or when we meet at our level, we, we meet people and we say, oh, you know, you had a voice in it. Your stuff really was somewhere between Simply Red and something else or that stuff sounded like a jam. So I think we're able, we're all capable of listening to something and kind of pigeonholing it into something that it sounds like. So if you write a song and it sounds like a certain style, there's no problem with going down that road in order to get the song to... Um, piece itself together nobody could deny that there are songs out there that sound like other artists and somebody would say this is that's by really i think doesn't sound like them but it's just that when they wrote that song the best thing for the song was to kind of produce it in the style of that band which is in some cases a tribute to the original band and some cases just the best thing for the song but i I think that if you hear a song and you're able to make a link between that and maybe an artist it sounds like there's no problem with following it down that line as long as you're not actually taking specific guitar lines or specific lyrics or specific vocals from that band or that artist then there's no problem with uh you know doing it in that style and um i think not many artists would turn around and say well you know that sounds like me but they will turn around and say well that's my lyric that's my chord progression that's my uh that's our drum pattern but you know um if you play something in the style of that particular band yeah produce it go follow it down the line make it sound like that and then what will make it yours will be the fact that you sing it as you anyway and your guitar player might not be you know um as legendary as the artist that you're trying to sound like so it becomes yours in the end anyway but if you follow it down that pathway then um make making the association between that and you know your song and the artist that it sounds like then it's important to go and follow it right the way down even to the point where you might even put the same watery sort of reverb on it if the original song is an 80s song and you just might get that sound and then maybe right at the last minute you'll say okay let's just now we've got it so it sounds like that let's make it ours your voice your, your vo vocal will go on it your guitar player will go on it um and it will become yours anyway it's your lyrics it's your idea it's your band it's your voice it's your guitarist so it becomes yours anyway but in the initial songwriting process you know this sounds a bit like whatever and if it does but you know it's yours follow it down the line follow the production listen to what they do listen to how they're mixed and then mimic it and then maybe right at the last minute say okay let's just undo a couple of bits but you know, we need to make it a little bit more personal to us. It's okay to sound like somebody else. You know, it, it's okay. Um, nobody, nobody ever references the fact that that a few artists they do sound the same, and and they because we're all made differently. We sing the same way. There are singers out there that sound exactly like singers from other bands, or um, just off the top of my head, if you listen to Squeeze and then you listen to Crowded House, you'll find that. Neil Finn and, and Glenn Tilbrook have got very similar voices. And and it, I feel like on any given night, they could swap places in front of the other band. And if you were listening, you wouldn't know. But somebody else would listen to that and they don't sound anything like it. So, you know, it's my perspective, my opinion, my podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, follow it down the line, Kate. If it sounds like the Rolling Stones, just go for it. And then, you know, make it your own after that. But uh yeah, good good luck with it, Kate, and I uh, hope you're doing really, really well. 
Chat soon. Next question comes from Stephanie, and she says, my grandson Ben has asked me to ask you, how many guitars do you own? <laughs> um, hello, Ben. Um, a lot. Um, I The most I've ever had at one time was 72, and my mum was going crazy. I was younger, and I was living at mum's, and... Um, they were everywhere. I mean, we had guitars in cupboards and we had guitars piled up in them. I mean, my mum didn't have a dining room for the best part of 20 years. We we just would put all the stuff there. And um, so, um, yeah, um, a lot of guitars. Um, I have guitars for different things. I mean, this is, this is a thing that you need guitars for different sounds. So in some cases, you need to have... So I've got a Gibson Les Paul. Um, I've got uh, an Epiphone Sheraton, which is like a semi-acoustic. I've got um, a Gibson 355, which is like uh, a big um, Noel Gallagher guitar, actually, the red one that he uses in Oasis. I've got one of those. I've got a Fender Strat. I've got various acoustics. But the, the honest truth is different guitars. I've got a 12-string. Various guitars do different jobs, Ben. And so... I think sometimes you don't have to have 72. But if you're looking to get into music, if you're looking to perform live, you should always have a spare guitar. So all guitar players should own two guitars, if particularly if you're playing live, because you need to have one on a spare. Don't be changing strings halfway through a song or stopping the show so you can put a new string on. That doesn't work like that. So how many guitars do I own at the moment? I whittled it down to about... 26 i think i've got about 26 uh, i'm not going to count them on here but over the years the reason i had so many was i went through a, a period towards the end of the 90s where i was uh, i had a sponsorship from uh, a music shop which sadly is not there anymore uh, in basildon and uh, they were called mj's music and um they sponsored me for a few years and they would um, they had a, if they had a new guitar coming out or um, a new style coming out, they would say, "Do you want to use this and take it on tour?" You know, go and say, so, "Yeah." And and so I had at one point, uh, Hona had a guitar that was called a Countryman, which I still use um, for teaching. Uh, but at one point, they had sponsored me, and um, it was a, we had a great relationship. And they they had the the guitar, the Hona Countryman, and. They gave me one in every single color that they had in stock. So I had uh, on my wall, and I, I teach a few people that I've taught for many years, and they will remember. Um, I had, oh, goodness me, um, a, I had a red, a red one, I had a black one, I had a green one, I had a silver one, I had a sunburst, and I had a light, like a light sunburst one. I had six. I might have had seven. They might have had another color, but I'm trying to think what the other one was. Did I say black? I don't know. But I had, I had six or seven of those hanging on the wall, um, and uh, I would use them for teaching, and I'd use them for recording, or I'd use them for songwriting, and um, and of course uh, I would take them across while I was playing shows, and I try and use use a different one for each show, um, and if anybody asked me where I got my guitars from, then I would put them, you know, in in the general direction of M&J's music. And they, they did that one Christmas, which was just unbelievable. And um, we had a great relationship. They would, um, sometimes they would say to me, take a guitar and give it a play. Go, okay, you know, great. And 
and they give me a bit of a discount on some of the guitars that I wanted, um, some of the more expensive ones. But sometimes they'd have a new line in, and if I was off playing some shows or off on tour, they'd say to me, you know, take this and uh, uh, see if you can sell us a few, you know. But but I had about six or seven, which I subsequently sold on when M&J's closed. Um, I sold them on, and uh, it was a sad day. It was a brilliant, brilliant little music shop for those of if you remember it in, in the Basildon town centre. It was a brilliant music shop. Um, and, of course, there are still many that are around, uh, and legendary ones as well in Southend and um, places like that in Romford. But um, for the local musician, for somebody just going in and, and looking for a, you know, a basic instrument or for good advice, MJs were great. Um, and, yeah, they sponsored me for a while. And they used to give me these little things which I don't know if I still have, but when they first brought them out, um, they brought out some picks that were on a like a credit card, and they gave me a box of those, and they were really just there to get yourself out of trouble if you were without a pick one night. They would sort of that you get four of them on a credit. It's like a credit card size, and you could pop them out and use one for a show, and uh, they didn't last sort of you know probably more than two shows. But um, I had loads of those. So you know, having a box of those is, is, you know, the same as having about 4,000 plectrums. <laughs> um, so I've managed to get through a tour of those. And, and they were good to hand and throw out as well. And um, I got onto the company that made them. And they sent me a box as well, which I was able to then throw out when, you know, we, uh, and when I say throw out, I mean, I wasn't in, I wasn't in Kiss. I was just playing social clubs or O'Neill's or clubs across the UK. But um Enough that where where you could sort of just say to somebody in the front row, have a pick. And at the end of the night, when you're drunk with your mates and the guitar player gives you a pick, it's quite a cool thing. Even even if he is some nobody, just rocking Blackburn uh, with his with his little band. Um, and um, so I was able to do that. So I, I've I got rid of a lot of them, Ben. But I at the moment I have about twenty six. But the answer to that, uh, hopefully, um, Nanny, uh, your grand your grandma will say the same. And that will be, if she asks you how many guitars you need, the answer is always just one more. That's the answer. So if people say to me, what guitars do you, how many guitars do you need? And I always say, just one more. Because there's always a guitar around the corner that you're going to see and you're going to like, Ben. Good luck. And I hope you're doing something musical, young man. And uh, if you're not, then I thank you for your question anyway. And I wish you all the best. Harvey from Billericay says, um, hi, Marcus. I hope you're okay. Um, when you meet a student for the first time, do you get nervous? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, not not nervous in as much as I, I don't know whether I'm going to be able to do the job or not. I just feel everybody's different. It takes all sorts to make a world. And if you haven't, you know, those of you who have listened to me and known me for years will know that I am nothing if not a bit sarcastic, and sometimes that doesn't come across well. So, so I always make sure that I'm trying to be as professional as I can, of course, um, whilst trying to break the ice. And I think it's important that particularly um, singers, when I work with singers, I, I try to establish a rapport of trust because singing is such a personal thing. I always do a free introductory lesson. I go to the website for that, but... The introductory lesson is really about breaking the ice. And in some cases, um, it's really just a, a cup of tea, a coffee, and to talk about what they, they're aiming to do, um, where they're aiming to take it, what they aspire to be. Because you meet people who say, oh, look, look, I'm just retired, I want something to do. 
and you meet people, Harvey, you say, you know, I'm 15, I want to take on the world, I want to be the best musician that's ever lived, and, you know, and everybody has different dreams and different ambitions. But yes, I do get uh, nervous because I always, any teacher will tell you, I think any tutor will tell you, um, as good as you are, you don't you don't ever really want to be in that situation where someone comes in for advice and and they are absolutely superb <laughs> and you don't know what to say, you know. Um, and it does happen. It happens to teachers and tutors, musicians of all levels where you will meet somebody and, and they will come to you for help. But I think it's the most important thing is that you're honest. And this is where the research comes in. On the rare occasion, and I have to say, thank God, on the rare occasions where someone's come to me and, and they've been looking to learn a certain style that maybe I don't specialize in. So, you know, in, in the case of maybe Joe Satriani or Steve, Steve, uh, Steve Vai, um, I don't specialize in that. I can do a bit of it, but that's not enough if you're going to teach it. So very much like... Um, any any other professional, um, whether it's counselling or or whatever, you have to admit and you have to say, look, I don't specialise in this, and it's important that you put the research in, that you're able to guide the the people who need the help into the relevant places. So, for instance, if you're a counsellor and somebody comes to you with an alcohol issue, but you don't specialise in that, you put them in the right direction, and it's okay to admit that maybe you can't help them. I think there are too many people out there who think, well, I'll try and blag it for a while. You've just got to be honest, I think, Harvey. But that's where I get nervous. But I still get nervous, you know, playing a new venue. And I've played guitar all my life and sung for, for the whole of my adult life. And um, I still get nervous playing a new venue. It's new people. It's a new stage. It's a new sound. It's a new environment. It makes you nervous. But yes, I do get, um, I'd say edgy. I always feel like, I'd, I'd probably feel more nervous going to their home, but they're stepping into my studio, you know, and I, so I'm kind of the king of this castle to a certain extent. And so it, it, although it's nerve wracking, it's only nerve wracking in as much as what are they hoping to achieve? But I try and get that. Usually they phone me first and we have a little chat on the phone and I'll say, come and see me for a, a free introductory lesson and we'll chat. It's not really an introductory. It's about 35, 40 minutes of breaking the ice and then wherever I can, I just try and find out a bit about them so I can then reference that when I'm teaching. Um, uh, try and be as clever as I can with my teaching methods. And I'll try and equate what we're trying to do with their walk of life if I can. You know, it's um, if, if somebody's a window cleaner, for instance, then I would say, you know, if, you, if you're cleaning the high, you know, you're cleaning the high windows, that's where you need to be staying loose in the shoulders. You need to have a high, you know, try and slow your heartbeat down and be chilled out. And that's the same as singing. When you're singing the higher notes is when you need to be at your loosest. If you start getting tight and getting worked up, you'll never sing them. So in that instance, um, I always try to be as clever as I can to try and explain things as simply as I can, as easy as I can without, you know, without um, making it sound too easy because otherwise everybody would be teaching. Um, yeah, I get nervous. I think we all we all get nervous when we do something for the first time or meet somebody for the first time. And um, I never really doubt my people skills. I never really doubt my ability. But everybody is trained and everybody specializes in different things. And as long as I know that I'm going to be honest and I'm going to say, I can't help you. 
but I've done the research and I can say, but I've got a friend of mine who plays that style and put them in the right direction. Then they will, they will remember that I did that for them, that I was able to say, look, it's not something I do. It's like classical guitar. I always say to them, go and speak to this gentleman. He's, he specializes in that. Um, and, you know, I've had a few referrals over the years of people who've, who've come to me for various things, um, but particularly the loop stuff. Um, a couple of people have said to me, can you, I've seen you do the loop stuff and you've been recommended to me and by somebody who's my, my guitar teacher said he saw you, he knows you. And so we all specialize in different things, Harvey, but I get nervous like everybody else by the unknown. And uh, that's, uh, yes, I do get nervous, Harvey. But somebody asked me once, what makes you a teacher? And I said, I'm a page ahead of you. So there we are. That's, that breaks the ice straight away. Thanks for your question, Harvey. Grassroots Music UK, in association with Innovation Studios, presents the ultimate one-day workshop for songwriters. Advice and analysis on songwriting techniques and methods, how songs are created, structured, recorded and produced. Tuition, analysis and guidance on how to make a great sounding album on a bedroom budget, using recording software and digital audio workstation. Learn how effects and plugins work and the most effective way to use them. Mixing and mastering to CD, WAV and MP3. Adding album artwork, tags and songwriter info. Where to have your mastered CD copied in bulk for selling at your shows. How to upload your music to iTunes and digital media. Online radio stations and how to submit your music for airplay. Advice on venues, promotions, showcases and open mic nights in the area. To book a place and be added to the waiting list, please call 01702 836 649 or email innovationstudiosuk at gmail.com Final question Paul in Pitsy that's not easy to say hello Paul in Pitsy Paul says what was your first guitar uh, my first guitar was um, oh goodness me well it depends really my first electric guitar was a Shaftsbury uh, Les Paul that I uh, got for my eighth birthday uh, just before I went to see Torval and Dean in Dancing on Ice at the Wembley Arena um, some birthday treat that is yeah um, that was my first electric but before that my first guitar was my dad's guitar that um, he learned on and it was one of the old K catalog ones um, uh, off the top of my head I think it's called a K320 um, terrible terrible guitar I mean awful thing but but um, I still have it now and I still play it and I still, um, I think it's important to, to hold on to things like that. Some guitars have a value that's sentimental and sentimental value is worth far more than, than anything else. So this is the thing about my guitars. A little bit like jewellery, you put so much of yourself on them. That's why the, the people have said to me before, you never have secondhand jewellery because that, that people have had that and they've had life experiences wearing it. Now, I, I don't know. I'm only saying it's been said, but people have said it's not it's not lucky. But then I know people say you shouldn't sing Christmas songs in July. People have different things. But guitars, I think, have a lot of you on them. And there are certain sounds that I'm able to get out of my guitars that other people can't get. And it's the same guitar, same setup, same amps, you know. It's all in the fingers, really. But I think sometimes a guitar, if you've had it for a long time, can become part of you. So my first guitar was a K320. 
um, catalog job. Um, and over the years, uh, then my Shaftesbury Les Paul, which I got for my eighth birthday, and that's um, really that they were my first, yeah, my first two guitars, and uh, still to this day, I, I keep the Shaftesbury. I recently had it. Um, updated because i would had it for years and years and years and i recently got a friend of mine chris at essex guitar services and i'm hoping that chris will come and do um a podcast with me and we'll take some questions about um guitars intonations and setups and pickups and uh, he's, he's an absolute wizard at stuff like that he's a great guy um so he might come and do a, a little q a with me at some point because i get a lot of questions about that and i kind of at the moment I'm swerving around them because I'm, <laughs> I don't have the answers, but I will have the answers for you. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, Chris renovated my Shaftesbury for me and um, I'm going to use that on the next album um, because of the sentimental value of it. And he put some, without getting too technical, he put some Pearly Gates, uh, Seymour Duncans in it and they just sound amazing. The guitar's got a lot of me on it anyway. It's got a lot of sustain and it was originally what they called a lawsuit guitar way back in the 70s because it was made in the shape of a Les Paul and of course Gibson had a problem with it and it was all kicking off and you can read about it and um, this was uh, I think it's about a 1974-75 model or something like that Um, but at the time it was probably a real cheap uh, you know guitar but because it's 46 47 years old now it's probably as old as I am um the wood has matured, the guitar has grown, you know, uh, and it's kind of got so much of me on it that it just sounds great and better now than it's ever sounded. So that's that's um, that's always a good thing. You have a guitar. And at the moment, for anybody that's listening, I am desperately trying to get an Echo guitar, E-K-O, Echo Acoustic. I want a, I want a six string and I want a 12 string because they just sound amazing. And when they first came out, they were Italian made, I think, in the 70s. And they were rubbish. But they have stood the test of time and they sound amazing now with the wood has matured and I've got a you know, mate of mine who's got one and I keep on at him all the time. Can I have it? No. Um, so I'm after an echo just just for just for me, just so I know I've played one. But Paul, my first guitar was a K320 and my first electric guitar was a Shaftesbury Les Paul. And I still have both and I still use the Shaftesbury Les Paul, but the, the K320, oh goodness me, I tried playing it earlier in the year and... Although I had an idea of making an album called uh, New Songs on the Old Guitar, when I came to play it, I, I just couldn't play it for more than 10 minutes. And I thought, well, I've got to play something else. But I did write a couple of songs on it, um, and I do keep it. And it's it, it's a precious guitar for me, and I'll never get rid of it. Um, I hope that you have a guitar, Paul, and uh, email me and tell me what your first guitar was, mate. So that's it for another week. Don't forget, www.innovationstudios.com on the internet for further information. And to send me your questions, send them to email me at uh, innovationstudiosuk at gmail.com. Send me an email if you want to. Um, I will answer all of your questions the best I can in the most honest way I can. I look very much look forward to hearing from you during the week and to be speaking to you again next week. Christmas is fast approaching. Um, and um, yeah, I'm not sure what it's going to be like this year. Certainly I'm not going to be as busy. A lot of my shows have, have cancelled the same as everybody else's out there. But um, we have to find a way of getting through. And um, anybody that wants to, and why not? You could be a guest if you wanted to. If you wanted me to come and you've got something you want to promote or you want to come and talk to me, we can 
We can do that uh, via Zoom or via Skype. We can have a little chat. Get in touch with me, stay in touch with me, and uh, I look forward to chatting to you all next week. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye for now.